Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, June 28, 2020, we continue our series titled, The Parables. Today's sermon, Three Prodigal Perspectives, will be taught to us by Pastor Mark Ewell out of Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Enjoy. Hey, you know, there's something about a story. Uh, there's power in a well-told story. Uh, that form of communication does something special. It seems like a story can somehow get underneath all of the defenses that a lot of times our mind would put up if we're just uh, reading something. Uh, a well-told story provides details, and as it's being told, we can picture what's being said. And a lot of times, in a well-told story, we're able to relate to the actual characters, and we can see ourselves right in the story. Well, this morning, we're going to have a chance to listen as Jesus tells what's been referred to as the, the best story ever told. It's the story of the prodigal son. And many people are familiar with it. This is perhaps the most familiar of all the parables that we'll be studying. But many people don't understand that in the greater context, that this really is part three of a three-part parable that's being told in Luke chapter 15. Uh, you don't necessarily need to turn there right now, but verse 1 and 2 of chapter 15 tells us the audience that Jesus is speaking to. It's really a diverse crowd. On the one side, you've got sinners and tax collectors, and that would be a redundant thing because every tax collector was a sinner. Um, and then uh, that's on one side. But on the other side of the scale in the audience were Pharisees and scribes. And I believe it's that crowd that Jesus tells this greater parable that's really a, par a three-part parable about the, the lost uh, sheep, a lost coin, and as we'll see this morning, the story of a lost son. You know, when I was uh, growing up with our grandkids, uh, it was Mary Beth's job to get them all ready. And she didn't have to do all the hard work. She'd get them all bathed and all that stuff and say their prayers. And then Papa would swoop in and I'd read a story to them. And it was Madison or Delaney, I think when they were real small, gosh, 15 years ago or so now, uh, after I'd read a story for a while, they stopped me and said, Papa, don't read us a story. Tell us a story out of your mouth. And I started doing that. And it would work out this way. They would give me a detail or two that they'd want to put in, normally an animal of some sort. And then I'd have to use my creative juices to figure out how to weave those stories together and include them into the story with their name. And I'd like to be able to do that this morning with you. We're going to again hear Jesus tell this story, and we're going to look at it from three perspectives. The one perspective will be the younger son, who's referred to as the prodigal. He's the one that gets all the attention. And if you don't know what a prodigal is, a prodigal is simply a description of someone who's reckless, uh, that, that goes through life without any restrictions or without any limits. That's a prodigal. So we're going to take a look at, at one perspective, and that's the perspective of somebody who's about as bad as you can get, okay? But then we're going to also take a look at the older son. And it's through his perspective that we'll see the opposite side of the crowd that particular day and the opposite side of 
even us here this morning, with those that are as good as they think they can be. And we're going to take a look at both of those perspectives, but at the end of the story, I'm going to ask that you put yourself into the story and get your perspective as our third one. So let me give you the big idea that'll kind of help set the stage for us this morning. It's pretty simple. No matter how bad you think you are or how bad you've been or how good you think you've been, on both ends of the extreme, we need to know that we've got a loving God who simply wants to invite us all home. I was telling a group that, that comes in and prays with a teaching pastor every Sunday, they said, what would you like to happen? I said, man, this morning would be a success if we collectively, the, the ones that are here and the ones that are watching at home, if we could understand how much God loves us and respond accordingly, that would be a good morning. So it's to that end we've prayed this morning. Now, we're going to be taking a look at the, the father. He's the main character, really, throughout this greater story. And I would like to read you a story out of the book. Now, I'm going to read from Psalm 103. Don't turn there. I want you just to listen as the father, our heavenly father, is described for us in Psalm 103, starting in verse 8. Listen to how the father is described. The Lord is passionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins, and he does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens are above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are and he remembers that we are only dust. That's the father described. Now, I want to read to you the story that Jesus tells out of his own mouth, and we're going to see every one of those attributes in the actions of the father. So if you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11, taking a look at perspective number one, which is the one who's as bad as you can be, and that's the younger son. Listen to how Jesus starts this story and sets the stage for us. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, even from those opening verses, what do we learn about the younger son? Well, he was very self-centered. He was selfish. He wanted what he wanted, and he wanted it now. It's like he says, give me what's mine and I want it now. He was totally into instant gratification. 
And the commentators say that with making that request, he's showing complete disregard for his father. One writer said, it's as if he's saying to his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can you imagine hearing that if you're the father? Well, what does the father do? Doesn't lecture, doesn't argue. He lets the son make that request and he honors that request. Gives him what would have been a third if there were only two sons. The older son would have received two thirds of the father's estate, but the younger son gets his third and after a few days, he skedaddles out of town to a foreign land. And there he spends all of his assets and all of his wealth that he had received from his father in reckless living. That's where we get prodigal idea. You know, isn't it interesting that when we've done something wrong or we're about to do something wrong, we, we, we escape? I was talking with a mom here last week. She was sitting right there. And she had a son that uh, was doing some prodigal stuff. She didn't go into a lot of detail. But she told me how her son is just ashamed to be here. And my heart broke for her because I could sense the pain that she's got, the fact that the very thing that her son most needs to be with his father God here at church, he's running away from. And that's what happens with this first son. He, like an athlete with a thick head and a thick wallet, he blows through his money so fast and things aren't good. One writer says it's not reason that turns us away from God, it's the flesh. And that's what happens to this first son. And it goes from bad to worse. We see that in the next few verses, starting in verse 14. And when he had spent everything, that's bad, a severe famine arose in the country, and that's worse. And he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. You know, if you're making notes, I want you to underline or highlight that phrase that he began to be in need. You see, that's step one of four critical steps that we're gonna observe today. He began to be in need. You know, parents, I know that uh, when you see your sons and daughters make some decisions that aren't good, that's awful tough to not swoop in and bail them out, but we'd see the father, we don't see the father doing anything, really. He allows his son to experience the consequences of these bad decisions. And it reminds me of what Charles Spurgeon said he, when he was talking about what got him back to a relationship with Christ. He would write these words. Charles Spurgeon was a well-known preacher, by the way. He says, the first link between my soul and Christ is not my goodness, but it's my badness. It's not my merit, but it's my misery. And it's not my standing, but my failing, and it's not my riches, but it's my need. 
that prodigal son began to feel in need. And although we reap what we sow, the father allows him to experience that need. But then there's a big transition that happens here after the fact that he's found this job feeding pigs, which for a Jew would be the lowest of lows. If you were a Jew, you had nothing to do with pigs, let alone be in the pigsty feeding them. But there's a transition that happens in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger. The phrase I want you to look at here is step number two, but when he came to himself, one of the translations says, when he came to his senses. And again, that's an important step too. Bob Wade had a great thing as we were talking about this uh, in our preaching meeting a couple weeks ago. There was a prodigal, um, or some parents of a prodigal that had come to him for some advice. And Bob gave him these wise words. Listen to how Bob counseled these parents. He said, when they asked, what can we do? Bob said, pray that the stench of the gutter would be so strong that he would look up. That's a tough prayer. Because we want to protect our kids. We want to provide everything for them. But it's a wise parent and a trusting parent that can pray that prayer. Pray that the stench of the gutter would be so good that they would see their need and they would come to their senses and look up. The young son does that and he continues, he said, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. That's step three. He came to his father. He works out this plan when he understands his need, when he comes to his senses, he understands that it's not necessarily the comfort of his bed that he's longing for. It's not even the camaraderie of other family members. It's the father that he seeks. And it's the father both in heaven and on earth that he wants to make things right with. And as so many do that he's thinking in his mind, okay, I've got a, I've got a plan. If I would just clean up my act, I can work as one of the hired servants and then maybe the father might take me back in. So many have this idea that they've got to work, 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 work to get the father's approval. But that's not the way it works at all. He came to his father. And then I love this next phrase, but while he was still a long way off. You know, this morning, I just have to think that even in here or perhaps watching it online, that there's many of you that are a few of you, many or a few, there's got to be some who feel a long way off. You feel like the things that you've done have been so bad that God certainly wouldn't allow you to be near. And so you stay away. Perhaps you sit in the back row. <laughs> well, not to accuse those back row sitters that today, uh, you're probably just Baptists and have comfort sitting back there. 
But there might be some that just have that sense that you feel a long way off. If that is how you're thinking or feeling, I want you to listen carefully to the actions that the father takes. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Do you catch those actions? Because he never stopped loving the son, he never stopped looking for his son and he saw him far off. And he had compassion. That word compassion talks about the action of being moved with sympathy or pity. And it's not a, a, a word that's passive. Compassion was always in action. And the action that that stimulates in his father is he runs to his son. It would be something that you'd never do in that culture. He'd hike up his robe and take off as fast as he could. And when he got there, it wasn't like a nice, polite, socially distanced handshake that he gave him. No, it said that he embraced him. One old translation says that he fell on his neck. It's the idea of a great big bear hug. Mm. And then he kissed him. And again, this wasn't like a little polite kiss on the cheek. This was a big slobbering. Mm. I love you, son. He's going overboard to let his son know how much he loves him. I read the story of a lady by the name of Flora Campbell. She was a Scottish uh, young lady back a couple hundred years ago who was a prodigal. And in her diary, she never discloses the depth of her sin, but it was bad enough that her local church would strike her name from the very roles of the church. And after several months, she came to her senses and she came back to her father. And she writes this in her diary. She said, it's too bad that you don't know Gaelic because Gaelic is the perfect language for loving. In the Gaelic language, there are 50 words for, for darling. And the night I came home, my father used every one of them. Can you sense how much she was loved? Can you sense when Jesus tells what the father did how much this rebellious son is loved? I hope you can see it in your mind. I hope you can feel it in your heart. That's the power that Jesus wants as he's telling this story and the demonstrative love of the father doesn't stop with those four things. Listen to what the, the father said. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You see, each of these actions that the father continues to bestow on his son are demonstrating mercy and grace and love. He, gives, he says, hey, hey, quickly, 
quickly put, put a robe on him. That would designate that he's a son. The, the robe would designate that. Put a ring on his finger. That would remind the son and anybody who saw that ring that that's my son. He's a full member of the family. And give him shoes. A slave or a worker wouldn't have shoes, but a son, he's got shoes. And that's not all. Go grab Harriet the heifer, kill her, and we're going to have a barbecue like you've never seen before. Let's celebrate. Now it's a party. Why? Because my son was dead and he is now alive. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. And within that, it's not specific, but I think there's a fourth important step there. That younger son simply receives what the father gave him because they begin to celebrate. And that's step number four, to receive what the father offers. No lectures. No wagging the finger by the father saying, I told you so, I knew you'd be back. Now, go out and start working your way back. No, he doesn't do that at all. He embraces him as much as he can because he understands that this son who was spiritually dead is now made alive. And it reminds me really what what. Paul would talk about in Ephesians chapter 2 when he would write these words, for we were dead in our trespasses and sins in in which we once walked, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Man, being rich in mercy is our God. Being full of grace and extending that grace out, undeserved favor is the idea of mercy. Let me see how sharp you are as a, as a listening audience. I gave this, and the, actually the Thursday night crowd got it pretty quick. First crowd this morning, not so good. Uh, see if you can tell me who said this. I wanted to rank in wickedness among the foremost of the human race. Have any idea who said those words? No? Good guess. Somebody, let, me give you, let me change the word and see if you can get it with this word. I wanted to rank as a wretch among the foremost of the human race. You may not know the name John Newton, but I guarantee you you know how he's famous. He's the author of Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a what? A wretch. And John Newton, for half of his life, was a big-time wretch. He was living up to this, but he understood the mercy and the grace that God extended even while he was majoring in wickedness. Even while he was a wretch, he understood the grace and and wrote about it for us to sing. Well, the story could stop right there and it'd be a happily ever after parable, but the parable continues and I think it continues for those of us that might be a little bit on the legalistic side, maybe a little bit on the proud side that we're doing so well. 
Listen to the perspective of the older son, starting in verse 25. He represents those that are as good as we think we've been. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near in the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older son was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him or begged him, but he refused his father. Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I would be able to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Man, what words. Like Ed talked about last week, the fact that our words simply are a reflection of what's inside of our heart. What do we learn about the heart of this older son? He was just as selfish as the younger son. He wanted his. We learn that he was angry and callous. He didn't even care that his brother was back. He was angry, he had blocked goals, he was bitter. He was resentful toward his brother. He wouldn't even call him, he said, this son of yours. And he makes a statement that every parent would have to just laugh at. He said, I've never broken a command. (laughs) Parents, how many of you would have a son or daughter that could make that statement? Yeah, nobody. It's as if his words, he's getting up on his little self-righteous soapbox and looking down on his younger brother and saying, I am so much better than you. You can just feel the anger inside of him. The pride, the self-righteousness. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. End of story. And if you're in that original audience, you had to be thinking, wait, wait, that's the end of the story? What happens? What happens to that older son? And we're not told. But let's go back and review those four steps that the younger son took. Did the older son realize his need? I don't think so. Did he come to his senses? No, his senses were still calloused and hard. Did he come to the father? No, his father went out to him. Unlike the younger son, the father went out and entreated him, hey, come in. This is a great party. You're missing out. But he never came to the father. And did he receive what he was offered, the invitation to come out, come in to the home? We're not told. You get the idea that he's still standing outside. What a sad place that is when there's such a party going on inside. Well, let's turn now to the the third perspective. 
And I think it could be the most important perspective. It's your perspective. It's your response. It's mine. How do we want to, how does God want us to respond to this story? As the, as the worship team comes up, because we're going to go through these pretty quickly, can I just give you four things for your consideration today? Four things that, that might be a, a response that we could make. First of all, recognize the Father's love. Maybe that's just going back and reading through Psalm 103 to really understand what the psalmist is talking about there and how much we are loved that's brought to life in this, in this well-told story, but that we would recognize for perhaps the first time or just remember how much we're loved. The second thing I think would be a great response if you haven't already would simply be to receive what the Father, what the loving Heavenly Father is offering. He's offering a chance for you and I to be completely forgiven for every wrong that we've ever committed or ever will commit. It's there for the receiving. Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Would you simply respond and believe with the faith that I want to give you? Receive your heavenly Father's invitation. Don't be the man or woman standing outside while the party's going on inside. So receive your heavenly Father's invitation. Here's another response. Rejoice greatly over your restoration. Can I be honest with you? Not that I haven't been already. <laughs> there are some Sundays when I come in here and my mind's going about 43 different directions. And there are some times when I'm not rejoicing greatly as if I've been made alive. Could that be you? Has that been you? At the end of the sermon today, we're going to sing a song that's just perfect to be able to rejoice greatly for being able to sing about something that God can only do. He's, only, he's the only one that can make something dead come alive, that can turn a grave and all the ugliness of it into something as beautiful as a garden. And we're going to have a chance to rejoice greatly by singing that. So that's the third response. The fourth would be this. Would we learn to retell this greatest <clears throat> of all stories? Would we be able to retell this story? It's the gospel story. And would we be able to retell it with such thankfulness and with such boldness that we could tell it out of our own mouth? That'd be a great response. Well, as I gave Brendan the notes to put up there, he reminded me that this is also Communion Sunday. And so I had to come up with one other R word that would be a response, and it fits perfectly. It's the idea of remember. 
So if you haven't already at home, if you'd want to gather your elements to be able to celebrate communion with us, if you have your uh, elements, if you don't, if you could raise your hand, we'll get uh, one of these cups to you. Uh, if we could right here, there's a few right here that need some, so that'd be awesome. Let me walk you through this. This is a little two-part process. This is the first time we've done this. Uh, on the top, you've got this thin little uh, layer that you have to peel off, and that exposes the delicious wafer right on top. Um, so grab that, and then there's another little thing like the creamer at you know, the restaurant, and you peel back that, and that'll expose the juice, okay? So make sure that you've done that. But you know, when Jesus, right before he was to go to the cross and pay the penalty for every one of our sins, whether we're the rebellious one or the one that, we th that thinks that we haven't sinned and we're wrong, Jesus would bring his men to the table and said, I want you to do something. I want you to remember. I want you to remember with this wafer the fact that I am going to offer my body as a sacrifice for your sin. And I'm willingly laying down my life to pay everything for your sin. And really that's what this wafer does. Is it reminds us of the body of Christ that was crucified on the cross for you and me. If we've received that free gift invitation that Jesus has offered us. So if you've done that, take this in remembrance of the body of Christ. And in the same way, Jesus would take the cup and he would said, this wine would represent that which would be shed for you, my blood. You see, it's the blood of Christ that not only forgives our sin, but just like grace, we're given something that we don't deserve. We're given his righteousness. And that's something that we're able to remember as we take the cup of communion. So do this in remembrance of him. Father, thank you. Thank you for that which you've done that we could never do for ourselves. Father, we come sinful. We come in need. We come as dead people because we are dead in our trespasses and sin. And yet, God, you love us so much that you've sent your son to provide the way back home for us. And so, Father, we do give you thanks for that which we could never do on our own but that which you've fully done in your son. Father, thank you. Help us to be able to rejoice in that. Help us to be able to retell that story. And even now, as we sing this song, God, I pray that we'd be able to sing it with all the joy that it deserves. As one who's been dead and who's been made alive, as one who was lost, and Lord, now you found us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen. Church, what have we learned? Man, I hope you've learned and seen and felt that we've got a loving Father that loves us beyond our comprehension. And I hope that you've seen from this story how much he loves us. And I hope you're motivated to now go and tell the greatest of all stories 
and tell it out of your own mouth. Hey, God's very best to you this week. We love you. Have a great week. God's best. Bye-bye.